Hello and welcome back to No Capes Season 3. This show is usually recorded as a video talk show, so if you want to see what we're talking about in the show, check it out on YouTube as well. And if you'd like to support the show, you could consider subscribing at Patreon or donating to Ko-fi. For now, kick back, relax, grab your coffee, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Capes, the show where we talk about creator-owned comics with creators who own comics. Joining me today is a man who owns many comics, as you can see, uh, the wonderful Matt Harding. Matt, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm Matt Harding. Um, I've been working in comics for about 10 years, probably, at this point. Um, My newest comic is actually coming out pretty soon. It's called All the Devils Are Here. I'll show you kind of like a picture of the cover. Um, it's it's uh, going to be coming out in print pretty soon. Yeah, I've been um, watch, watching that one. I was looking at that the other day on Comixology, like the the pre site. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, I'm working with, uh, with with this guy Jared, who um, he's he he's done stuff through like Mad Cave, and he's kind of like an up and coming writer, and he's uh, uh, a really good writer. And this, we I mean, we put a lot into this, so I'm, I'm hoping that it. It does really well. I, I think it will. You know, as long as people see it, they, they won't be able to to, uh, to turn it down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, like, it's going to be going on the list for guests to pick from for this. So, oh, cool. Yeah, awesome. Like, pretty much everything uh, I read this year is going into the list. So, any guests are going to be able to be like, "Yes, that." Let's talk about that. That's rad. I'm going to have to uh, go into that list and, and buy everything. I think. Um, I'm a, a huge comic reader. I'm also a, a, the publishing director at a, at a publisher, uh, Comics Experience Publishing, oh, uh, cool. so CEX. And it's uh, so what it is is there was a college. Uh, it, it's kind of a it's like a online uh, you know courses like college level courses on, on creating comics. And there's all kinds of professionals who have done um, lectures for them and and uh, and run classes and stuff. It's a it's like one of the best uh, you know like courses you can go through to, to learn how to do comics all kinds yep. of people have come out of it yeah cool. um, and, and went to working professionally and um one of the guys who runs that uh uh and, and, a, and a couple of the teachers have gotten together and they've started to put together this publisher and so we're kind of like brand new and they hired me because uh, one of their teachers knows me through you know through comics and so we're kind of like a brand new publisher but we've got all kinds of cool stuff coming out uh soon i'm so, gonna have to do some digging into that because I would love to do some further study on comics making and stuff, and I've been eyeing off, like, the uh, Cubit School Correspondence course and stuff, but, like, mm-hmm. post- expensive, but not just that, like, posting the assignments back and forth with uh, the old Australian exchange rate and also Australian shipping to American rate. Oh, yeah. 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 Not, not super, super helpful. Like, uh, those little, my little player screens that I showed you before, it cost me $26 to send one of those to America. Yep. Yeah. I did some Kubert school stuff, uh, back in the day, but it is expensive, you know? Yeah, like... It, it, it's not only is it expensive to, to, you know, send stuff back and forth, but the classes themselves, I mean, they're great. It, it's a great school, but it, it's like a, a very, like, um, uh, what would you call it? A, like a trade school, you know? Like yeah. you have to, you have to pay that, that price, you know? Exactly. Uh, comics experience, you can go in for, you know, courses, you know, you can take this course, you know, you don't have to, it's not like you can like, you know, you don't have to like be like, oh, I'm a freshman at this place, you know, like yeah. you can take this course, take that course and, and that kind of thing. And um, 
it's it's a really cool i mean they got a lot of really cool stuff so i mean if you get a chance you should check it out and then you oh, should yeah. also check out the publishing so because we do a lot of we're coming out with a lot of books yeah and, no, 100% um, i'm very keen to to take a good look at that um I'm probably going to look at that straight after this, to be honest. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we, uh, one of the things that's important to us is we want to have the best, um, since it was, since we're all creators and, uh, it's, you know, kind of coming from a school of people, you know, interested in, in becoming creators and teaching them and stuff. It's, we want to have like the best deal we, we could possibly give to creators. And so we, we've worked really hard to like make sure that creators have the best deal with us that you can get for like royalties and ownership and all that stuff uh, is really important to us. So, you know, it's a, it's a really good place to publish through. Yeah. Yeah. No, that just sounds perfect. Um, I'm definitely going to take that out, uh, take a look at that after this because I want to start doing as much as I can. Like this year is the year of me pitching willy nilly at every yeah. anthology I can get my hands on. Yeah. Um, so do you, should we talk about uh, speaking about horror? Yeah, yeah, let's um, let's do it. We're do you, we're talking about the sixth gun today, and do you want to introduce it? Sure. Uh, the sixth gun was actually uh, it was put out by Oni Comics, and it was a while ago, I think, that it came out. Ten years at least. Yeah, uh, something like I that. I forget exactly when, but at least ten years ago. Um, it's written by Colin Bunn. Uh, it's drawn by Brian Hurt and uh, colored by Bill Crabtree. Um, this, I think, it went on for seven or eight seven or eight volumes maybe even more um they it, it was such a, a good uh, it, it sold so well that they still to this day uh will like you know repackage it and put it out like i think there was a really cool like uh hardcover edition that came out um last year or the year before yeah i'm um, gonna have to check my locals for that because i don't have a, a physical copy of it yet my uh my wife actually just got hired by oni so i'm uh i'm going to be a uh uh, <laughs> hey, can you, do you think you can pick me up one of those uh, one of those hardcovers when you go in there, <laughs> please? Um, I've already started asking her. Um, but yeah, it's so it's it's like one of my favorite uh, it's one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, it just come back onto this uh, podcast, uh, rereading the first volume, which I read like ten years ago or something, uh, was really fun because I had forgotten like just how like how good it is. Like Colin Bunn is like at top the top of his game with his storytelling with this i feel and, and then um brian's like art and storytelling mm. it, and uh you know with crabtree's uh coloring is just uh stunning in this in this book yeah it's it is it's a phenomenal book um i i started reading it. i'd been meaning to read it for ages and ages and ages and ages and kept forgetting about it and then one day I did. I just finally picked it up, and then I think I devoured the entire series in like two weeks. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I, w I was reading like ten issues a day because I was just so hyped about it. Yeah, it just the it's one of those books where, where when you're reading it, the um, just the pure like creativity and imagination, like in each of the like you know weird characters that they meet or you know, areas that they go through is exciting. Like, it's one of those books where you're just like, this once the scenery in this one area is so cool. Yeah. Like, this one villain is so awesome. Like, you just, you can't, you can't, like, put it down, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that was it. Like, it was. It was so engaging and so, just, like, intriguing, too. Like, I yeah. had to know what was next. 
What's in that safe, man? We gotta know what's in that safe. Yeah, right? Yeah, there's just, there's there's so much to it. And, like, the history of the weapons and who uh, Drake really is. Yeah. And just, like, because it's, it's hinted at constantly. And... Uh, so, are we, how much of this are we, uh, on the show at least, are we allowed to talk about? Like, because I'm sure people are, like, do we want to just focus on one, the first... So issues. generally, I I like flick through the first issue while we talk, okay. and so what we'll do is we'll just talk about the first issue for the first few minutes, and then sure. we'll tell for for those of you that are watching, we will tell you when to bugger off and read the comic if you are worried <laughs> about spoilers. So we'll get to a point where we're going to warn you to go read the comic and come back and then watch the rest of the episode because we're heading into deep spoiler territory. But we're going to focus on sort of the first issue for a little bit. So you're safe for now if you don't mind the first <laughs> issue being discussed right now. And that's what we're going to do. So I've got the cover up right now, which is cool because it's the wraparound cover with the double page spread going. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's got the, the yeah the, the really nice pin up of Drake. And it's it's gorgeous, to be honest. Yeah, it really is. Um, I wonder what Brian Hurt is doing these days. Like, I saw him uh, doing other stuff for a while. I'll look that up uh, while we're talking about this. Um, after this series, he was, you know, I mean, he was a, uh, a big deal. I think he worked on a couple other things with them. That way, Colin Bunn. Yeah, here we go. See what he's, what he's up to these days. Um, cause yeah, I mean, he's, he is a, he's very talented. Like it's, it's clean, you know, it's like, it's really clean, but there's like so much going on that's very detailed and it's, it's got like a kind of like animated look to it, but yeah, his storytelling is, um, Oh, that would be so good. Actually. An animated series of this. Oh yeah. Like I, I, we were talking just before the show and we we're saying how it was a, a shame that the live action never got made, but right an animated series of this would be really fun. So yeah, he, he's worked on a bunch of stuff with Colin. He did The Damned, which was also a really good one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Shadow Roads, which was cool. Yes, but I, I really know. like Shadow Roads. I don't know what he's doing right now. I'm trying to find out. I'm trying to see what he what he's up to these days. Um, That, uh, I was looking at his publisher page through uh, Simon and Schuster. Oh, cool. Yeah, here he is. Tons of six gun stuff, obviously. Hmm. Uh, I guess he did Gotham Central, uh, which was cool. That, that oh, yeah. That's kind of perfect for him. I think I only read the first issue of that because I'm, I'm not as into the DC stuff as I used to be. I mainly follow, like, the Bat Family books now. Yeah. Oh, man. Totally. Um, and, and so for, for people that don't know, is they, they filmed a pilot for a live action of this this comic. And it's a supernatural western with, like, immortal warriors and these six magic guns that each have its own special supernatural ability that can end the world sort of deal. Uh, and, yeah, they filmed a, a live action pilot, and Pedro Pascal wasn't... Drake, actually. He was Special Agent Ortega. Oh. Um, Michael Hisman? Huseman? I'm not sure how it's pronounced, actually. Uh, was Drake Sinclair. 
And okay. Aldous Hodge was Agent Mercer. That okay. would have been really cool. Uh, Graham McTavish was Silas. Again, that oh, yeah. would have been really, really cool. I recognize this guy, Michael. Uh, uh, Michael. Yeah, Christmas? I've seen him in something. Is he? Uh, I think was he? Is he the guy? Well, maybe I'm thinking the wrong guy. Oh, is who, he, is, who is? Who uh, is? He was in uh, or whatever. Game of Thrones. I can see that. Game of Thrones. Orphan Black. World War Z. Okay. Okay, so yeah, I have so in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's been in smaller parts in a bunch of stuff. So this would have been a really cool opportunity for him. Who was gonna play his the friend Bill? Oh yeah, this guy, uh, Bill John uh, John O'Henry. Mm. Um. Who is a, one of my favorite characters in it? That's a good yeah, choice. This would have been cool, good. man. Yeah, yeah. So they actually did film it, right? Yeah. Because like, I see a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, they they filmed it, and then the actual show never got picked up, and I don't know if it's anywhere to watch. It was Universal. Oh. I'm gonna to have to ask. Uh, I just sent Colin going to message. I, I doubt he would let. I, I, he, I mean, he must have it, right? Like he's got to have so. it. You think so? That would be cool. Yeah, I I, uh, I had a chance to actually work with uh, Colin on a one-page comic. Um, I did a I did something. He he does a series that's kind of like uh, deepest catacombs. Cool. Yeah, I I, uh, I did one that was really fun. It was like the, there's like three doors. I don't remember if you remember the story, but there's like three doors. They're like, oh, should we go down this door? And there's like a horrible stuff in there. All these monsters. Uh, the the other door was like evil versions of them, and then another door was like a giant like eyeball monster thing that was like coming for. No, them. I don't think I'm up to that yet. I've only just like not long ago finally got around to catching up on it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so. you'll see it. You'll see it. It's a fun series. Yeah, no, I'm I'm keen. I'm keen to to get right caught up on it because I really love the way the format and everything at the moment. Yeah. I, I signed up to Cullen's Patreon specifically to read it. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in there, I think. I'm part of his Patreon. That Discord chat and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, like, if you've ever read any of Cullen's comics and you ever want to just chat about them, seriously, join Cullen's Discord. Or join my Discord, because we talk about it in my Discord a lot, too. Like, there's a whole channel just for talking about cool comics. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Cullen's Discord is a really fun place. Uh, a lot of gaming chat as well for tabletop gamers. Uh, but he's a really nice guy. He's, he is. he's approachable. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really cool. He, he's always open to fans and readers asking questions about the books and stuff. And it's it's been really cool uh, hanging out in his Discord and getting to know him and other pros in the industry, actually. You know, the interesting thing about Colin Bunn is because he, you know, for people who don't know, he had uh, runs at Marvel and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, his whole career, uh, I'd say 90% of it, has all been his own create his own yeah. things he's created his yeah. own creator own stuff. I've read more creator own stuff from Cullen than anything else. I've got Night of yeah. the Living Deadpool on the shelf back here. Yeah, but and he did he did one of the best Magneto like uh, series ever that still people talk about still. To this yeah, day. I think I've read that one as well. Yeah, it's really good. It was like when Magneto was kind of like depowered. So like yeah, that's Cullen right. And he was still like wearing the white costume, but he was mostly depowered. Yeah, yeah and, and he he would do things like he would carry around like pocketfuls of nails and stuff because like he would use that as like weapons and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, but for the most part, it's all been creator own stuff. And the thing that's impressive about him is that it, it seems like he has at least like two new series start like every month. 
And right? I'm just talking like yeah, every he's got year, something coming out month. with Vault too now. Yeah, I just saw an announcement the other the day about that. And exact right. Like he has so many ideas that he doesn't just have the ideas; he actually like makes the story, writes yeah. the script. You know, it, it, he has so much IP. Yeah, no, it's, that in, it's I, incredible. I'm honestly surprised. Yeah, I, I'm honestly surprised he doesn't have more like TV shows and movies that have been out. Like, for all I know, the the only one that's come out is The Empty Man. Is a yeah, I've, I've got to watch that too. And and that's the thing though, isn't it? Like, honestly, it's um it's kind of to do with a lot of the production companies and stuff. Like here in Australia we see maybe this much of the horror industry of films because our film authority board doesn't like horror movies and thinks that they're not worth money and aren't going to earn money. So we get maybe two horror movies out of 20 releases. I just watched an Australian horror movie two nights ago that scared the shit out of me. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yes, it's an Australian show. You can swear as much as you want. It scared the shit out of me. Which it one? was a, um, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was a, it was like a, like a documentary, fake documentary movie, mm-hmm. and it's about uh, a girl who went missing, and her family starts like she was swimming and, um, she 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 just disappears right, and they're yeah. like trying to figure out, uh, they're trying to figure out kind of like, you know oh she you know she drowned or did, you know we find her body they're trying to find her body and all this stuff but then. Um, her ghost kind of started showing up at the house, right? Yeah. Um, I could actually find what it was called. Was it Billabong? It was... Blackwater? Um, I'm asking my wife. She's My wife is a huge uh, horror fan, so she's got me into... Like, I've always liked horror, but not, not to the level that she, she knows it, right? Yeah. So, like, she's gotten me really into watching all kinds of stuff. Yeah, well, we um, make good horror here. And that's what's yeah. funny, is that the film board doesn't like horror and thinks that horror isn't a moneymaker. So th- I don't find out about so many good horror movies from overseas until, like, five, ten years after they came out. Unless When you say a film board... It's like, um, the, it's like a, a, a governing body who decides what films actually get released in cinemas in Australia. Oh, weird. Is it, like, an official government... Thing? Um, I'm not sure exactly how it works. Like Mungo, that's what it's called. Like uh, Mungo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. I haven't seen it, but yeah. I know it. Actually, that would be really cool. I was just literally just thinking, like, if when conventions come back, like if one of them finally brought Cullen over, that would be cool because I ha- I know there's a big following for Cullen in this city, let alone the rest of the country. He has. I mean, like Cullen is a he's a beloved author, man. Like he really is. Like. Yeah, like, this is I, not I, the first book of his I've covered on the show. Oh, no. I, I mean, uh, one of the things that my wife and I uh, kind of like, cause she, she's into comics, not, not to the level that, that I am, but she's she does like them, and uh, her favorite one of all time was a, a Colin Bunn one. It was uh, Harold County. And so, yeah, like, you that's know, the last one that I remember covering on the show, actually. Yeah, that one's a really great one, too. Like, there's so... I, I think they are making that. I think they, someone is currently making that. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing something about that. But because once somebody, once once Hollywood, because I've, you know, just in with the companies I've worked for and stuff, I've dealt with Hollywood a little bit. Um, I know kind of like what the mentality is in Hollywood. Mm. And, I, and I'll tell you that once once something comes out of his that uh, gets even, even like a decent amount of attention, um, all of a sudden 
you know, all it's going to take is one Hollywood person to be like, oh my God, look at how much stuff this guy has. Like, cause that's the thing, right? Hollywood doesn't pay attention for the most part to any of what happens yeah. in comics. They just know everybody loves comics. Right. So like they try to, they're trying to find these fonts of IP, you know, yeah, uh, these fountains of IP, which Colin is, I, I would say out of all the writers that are out there in comics today, Colin is probably the like most prolific IP generator in the business, right? Like he's yeah. I mean, Cullen he's, is so I, like uh, honestly, my um, guest that I had yesterday is probably the only one that I can think of that creates so as much unique stuff as fast, close to Cullen, and that was was Ryan Lindsay. Oh yeah, yeah. Like cause Ryan's an Australian creator, and I've covered a few of his books on the show, and finally had him on the show in yesterday's session, and uh, right, I'm constantly blown away by how many new books Ryan's putting out, and it's all creator-owned, cool stuff. Yeah, I'm just like. I know you work full-time and you have a family. How in the hell are you writing so much stuff? <laughs> I want to know how, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But then it like it turns out it's, it's a lot like how I create as well in that like he's always got something in the fire long-term. Like we're yeah. seeing thing after thing after thing come out in a rapid thing, but he started on each of those things five to six years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know? Which makes sense. Yeah, that, that's the hardest thing about being a creator is that, uh, I mean, like, you know, for all the publishers and stuff, they're they're figuring out what 2023 is, you know? Exactly. Like what what's coming out in 2023 right now. So, you know, one of the that's one of the things I always tell people who are trying to break into the business um, to remember is that it's really hard to just be like, to come in and be like, oh, yeah, I want, you know, I want to, you know, start making comics right now. I want to be making money doing this. It's a process because you you'll get you for for one you're not going to really make a lot of money until some you know until people know who you are right and then up until that point you got to somehow be making that stuff while surviving mm-hmm. because once your book comes out that's when people realize who you are right yeah like exactly. and then if you you know i mean just even with 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 me like the all the devils coming out hasn't come out yet and so i'm still waiting for it to come out before i could really put my best foot forward because i know that you know like people know who i am or whatever but not like to the extent that they will once i have more books on the shelf you know same here you know like people have in the community have been kind of aware of me on the in the twitter community and stuff and then sort of have become aware of the show but it wasn't until last year that i even got it to finally finish and put out my first two short two three page comics let alone the stuff that's going to be coming out this year and then the next year and I started this show three years ago. Yeah, that's you know, and it's, it's wild a, it's a to think about. Yeah, and 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 the thing that's crazy is like you I, I went to an art school, right? And a lot of people that I was there with wanted to all get into comics, and a lot of them had this impression that they could just take their portfolio, go to a, a convention, and you know, get a job working for Marvel. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's it. I mean, I think the average is like seven to eight years of constantly producing stuff before you even get. Um, you know, before you can do it for just a straight living, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's like the average. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I don't put all my eggs in one basket, besides the ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Besides the ADHD urge to make anything and everything, it's like I want to be able to cycle things so that if this thing is in dev for a really long time, I can make this little thing over here. There oh, you yeah. go, TTRPG. There's something you, you can buy to start bringing in at least a little bit of money while I go over here and write this comic. 
Yeah, you have to. You have to have all your. You have to. You have to look at yourself like you are. And and it took me a long time to do this, right? But uh, I mean, pretty much all the way up until this year, when uh, a company that I had worked for for eight years, a comic company, went under, right? And I had to really actually start thinking about survival, you know. Um, and I think the the thing that I wish I had done a long time ago that's 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 lucrative at this point is to not look at myself like I am a comic book artist, but to look at myself like I am an artist, right? Mm -hmm. What can I put my art and what can I put my writing and what can I put my skills? Because I, I do it. I did it like I was like a generalist, right? Like I, I could letter, I could write, I could produce. Yeah. I could, like I did a little bit of everything, animate. And um, I had to kind of rebuild my websites and stuff and really start thinking of myself as, um, as, a, as an artist and a creator and not just a comic book artist or comic book writer yeah and, and then you know storyboarding gigs started coming in and you know uh, uh various other things like uh, motion you know motion graphics for this singer you know and that stuff all pays really well and that works hand in hand with the comic stuff and it and so for anybody who's like a freelancer out there um who, who wants to break into comics the best way to do it is by not breaking into comics if that makes sense like yeah you want to break in to being an artist in general and having clients and having relationships and stuff like that. That's, that's all exactly kinds of it. And, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's it. Like I have my goal since I was like 11 has been to be a comic book published creator. Like I want to publish something that I've drawn that somebody else has written. And I wanted to publish something that I've written and either drawn or had somebody else draw, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but I'm barely there yet because there's just other things you got to do to pay the bills while you develop all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, I've been working on this for 24 years and I'm writing my first books that are going to be published now. So yeah, it's, it's a and process. You know, there's no age limit either. Like that's the other thing I think people compare themselves a lot to is like oh if i don't do this by the time i'm 25 i've failed right but yeah if, especially as an artist like you see people like you see people have a huge break when they're 20 and then go away for like 30 years you know and not have a break again then all of a sudden they do and they're the best part like one of my uh, uh good friends is uh say i worked with him for a long while is this guy liam sharp and he he, he does um uh he just finished uh, Batman Reptilian. Yeah. But, um, so he was part of, like, the UK invasion, you know, like, way back, what, 90s, I think, early 90s, mid-90s, and he he had done Death's Head 2. Then after that, he kind of dropped into obscurity for a bit, like, doing his own stuff and, you know, wasn't in, in the limelight like he had been used to uh, up until then for all the way until he was almost 50 years old. Yeah. And like, literally, started... just double-checking as you were saying that, like, yeah, I, uh, some of Liam's YouTube content, I believe, was what helped me with some of my drawing. Yeah, and, and so you know he he got hired to do Wonder Woman with uh, Greg Rucka um, mm. when the New Fifty Two, uh, no, not New Fifty Two, it was uh, but the thing they did after that, uh, uh, Rebirth, the blue border across the top or whatever, yeah, Rebirth, Rebirth, Rebirth. Um, and he's had like the biggest run of his career right now, right? And, and he didn't get that until he was almost 50, you know? So, like, you know, like, it is it is a process. Stan Lee was going to give up, right? Like, that's a famous story. 
he was going to give up uh, when he was like 39, 38 or 30, 39. He was going to give up because he had worked for Marvel or what had what would become Marvel um, for a long time, doing like horror comics and, and stuff like that. And it's because his uncle owned the publishing company. And so he was kind of like working for his uncle. And, um, uh, you know, for the longest time he was doing that. And uh, he was going to give up. And his wife said, hey, you know, if you're going to give up on this, why don't you write why don't you write the comic that you really want to write? You know, and that's when he did Fantastic Four. And Spider-Man came out when he was 40. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's it. Like, that's what like, the reason Think of that. Just, yeah. just, sorry. Think of that really quick. Like, the the career he had from the time Spy- the first issue of Spider-Man came out, Amazing Fantasy or whatever, number 15, all the way up until he passed away, the the huge career he had, the the impact he had, uh, on 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 our culture, on on our world, right? And you know that impact all happened. Yeah, that impact all happened when he turned forty. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He had a he had a he had, he was able to balance that with the beautiful family. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's signed. Nice. Yeah, his final. Australian convention, I got to meet him. That's cool. It was amazing to still be in the, the presence of someone that's had such a massive impact on yeah. on my life, let alone the industry. Yeah. Uh, I, he, I mean, it, it's just... It's outstanding what he's... Like, a lot of people will talk... You know, I mean, there's, like, people who say bad things about him and stuff like that, and I'm sure he, you know, he's not a perfect person. Yeah, stuff but, can be two things. Yeah, stuff can be two things. And that's it. Like, yeah, yeah. We all know the things, you know? We've all read the stories. We've all yeah. seen the documentaries. But you also can't deny the impact that the things he did create and the work he did do had on the industry and everything. And also, like, how much he stood up for progression and people's rights from day yeah. one. You know, with Stan's soapbox and all of that. Yeah. He was an outstanding guy. Like I, I never got a chance to meet him. I, I did get a chance to work with him, which was really cool. Um, there was a he had a uh, so he you know how like he kind of got into doing TV and stuff. Uh, there was a show he did in England called uh, Lucky Man, and they got a bunch of comic artists to do kind of like uh, these. It's, there were seven of us to do these short like kind of motion comic kind of things mm-hmm. where like we we draw it and they kind of animated a bit. And um, for each one of the segments, uh, uh, like an actor from the show or something would kind of do the voiceover and like do the narration and the reading for it. And so for mine, they had my my story took place uh, back with uh, what's his face, uh, Joe Kennedy, oh, about yeah, yeah. getting this lucky bracelet and kind of like his life and stuff. And he had this like enforcer uh, that they wanted to be to look like a, a more like a tougher Stanley, like Stanley if he was like a mobster, you know? Yeah. They even called him Stan. And so I did that, and Stanley himself uh, narrated the whole thing, and like did the voice and stuff, which was That's super cool. cool. That's really cool. Um, it just never played in America; like it was only in England. <laughs> so I had to like track down a copy of it, and um, uh, a copy of the DVD, and it only plays in certain DVD players, like it, because I guess yep. some kind of coding yes, or whatever region, st- yeah, region specific stuff. So like it would only work in certain DVD players and stuff like that, but. Um, so I go, so it's like I worked with like 
it was probably like the, the highest profile thing I've ever worked on. And um, one of the things I'm most proud of, and I can't even, nobody even saw it. You know, like nobody I know even saw it because yeah, it was in a different have you, country. Have you ripped it and put it on your website? Uh, no, I haven't. You should 100% do that. I should. I should. Because that, that deserves to be seen. Yeah, I mean, it was super cool. Yeah. Know? Exactly. Yeah, that, that was, that's incredible. Um, uh, six gun. Yes. Uh, see, the, 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 never... literally the thing I was about to say is I don't mind. This show always derails for at least 20 okay. minutes, okay. at least. Because right, good. So it's not just it's, me. No, it's, it's comics creators, especially when I have fellow ADHD creators as well, is we've got so much to talk about about comics. It's like the comic that we choose to talk about is because we love it, but it's also just to facilitate the greater conversation about the wonderful thing that is comics. Right. You know, and like every single... Co- I, It has been such an education for me. I think I mention this every episode, but like I'm so grateful to every single one of my guests because it's because of talking to all of my peers and everything that I have learned from them over the course of this show. And it's been incredible. Every single episode, I learn something new. Yeah. I don't even know what it is until later, but I do. You've had some great guests on here too. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen. I, I couldn't believe some of the people that I got. And I've just gone, oh, hey, tweet person. You want to come on my show? Yeah, all right. They, that's cool. I, I, I think I think a lot of us, like, since we all work, like, from our offices at home and stuff, you know, like, we, we like, me personally, like, I, I'm a social person, right? Uh, I'm, I'm very extroverted. So, like, I I need to, to talk to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I jump at the chance. And what the, the general feedback has been, which I think is really nice, is that a lot of uh, creators find it relieving that they don't have to come on here and talk about themselves. Like, they just get to talk about the craft yeah. and, and something that they love. Which is, is the point. It's like, I just want to give people a platform to just talk about this thing that we love. It inevitably comes up that my guest's work will get discussed at some point. But yeah. it's not like, here... This is all about you all the time. <laughs> it's yeah. just a, a chance to get down and just chat about what we love, and that is comics. And on that note, let's talk about the comic that we love a yeah. bit more, because we've got to talk about it at least a little bit. Yes. And cause it's especially because it is such an amazing book. Um, and so I've got the first one of the first pages up here where they're like, you know, uh, among those who know the truth of things, it is widely understood that the sixth gun vanished after the war. And like already, I'm just going to bring up the close up here. That first panel, it's so, it's a a whole town shot, but there's already so much detail in that. With all the work that they've put into every little building and the mountains in the background and it's, and then there's the close-up at the bottom of the, the tavern inside. Yeah. And it's just the lighting, the coloring, it's gorgeous. And the lettering just, it suits this story so well. He does a really good job, like, kind of matching, like, a cool, like, Western, you know, like, a, like, when he would watch Western stuff, like, with narration and stuff like that. He does a really good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With that kind of writing style. Yeah, he really does. Like, the whole thing has been put together so masterfully. It's a perfect team for this. And, like, they they don't waste any time in 
introducing us to the occult and supernatural elements here. Page two. Yeah. It, immediately, they, there's the fact that they're here. These, you know, these Pinkerton detectives are hunting down these occult items for reasons. So one I'm of these known. guys. That was gonna be Pedro Pascal, right? The guy here on the second page. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, that, this guy with the mustache. Yeah, yeah. So I like I really want to see this. I know. So the, on the second page, I, I I hadn't noticed this before, but there's actually uh, a couple of Easter eggs on the second page that come back into play, along like like uh, at least a, at least for one of them a volume later. And yeah. then I think for the other Easter eggs, many volumes later. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you notice him, but in the second page, the panel where they're talking about the um, like the freak show, the traveling uh, freak yep. show. Yeah, the nine-foot mystery mummy. There's that. And then if you look in the background, this is one that I found that I, I had never noticed. Uh, there's a character standing right behind the um, reptile. Yeah, yep, yep, I see him. The man, uh, that's that's the character that shows up, um, what's his name, in the second volume. Oh, the Grifter? Yeah, the Grifter. Yeah, I, I can't really remember what he looks like, but that's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's back there. Yeah, I, I don't know if he planned that or if that uh, just turned out that way, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, I, I never like to give too much credit without knowing for sure myself, but like, I wouldn't be surprised with the amount of detail that Cullen inserts into his stories. Yeah. Definitely the mummy, though. Yeah. The mummy's a big deal. Yeah, that is that is a, a big thing. Asher Cobb. Yeah. Uh, and then they're here just, you know, like, killing the, the sorcerer here to take the tarot deck. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's, there's the guns. So the the thing that I think is really cool about the, the mythology of the guns is that um, there's six of them, and they kind of work uh, kind of like the the rings in Lord of the Rings is kind of like what I my my initial impression was like each one kind of did a different thing, um, and for people who are listening to the first to this uh, and they haven't read the book, there's these six white handled guns that have this red symbol planted on it, right? Really cool design. Uh, and, I, and, and if they ever made a show of this, I'm sure they'd make replicas of these guns, which I would definitely buy. But um, uh, each gun does a different thing. Yeah. So like, uh, and they're, they're bonded to the person who uses them. So if anybody else tries to use that gun while you're alive, it'll, it, it will burn them in a way that is burning their soul. So it's like this cool like green flame kind of thing. And so like, uh, it actually like kind of burns your soul away. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and they're they're kind of right. This is pretty much the what what it. And then it. And so and then if you if you have them, it starts to slowly. The impression I get is that it starts to slowly corrupt you, kind of like the rings did in Lord of the Rings. Right? Yeah. Kind of like messes you up. Uh, so each gun does a different thing. Like one, uh, you'll fire the bullet. You never have to reload them, by the way. You'll fire the bullet, and uh, where the bullet hits, flames will burst out of. You know. Um, one fires a bullet like a cannon, like it's like a giant cannon blast. Yeah. You know, another one uh, spreads a disease and whatever it hits, which is a really ugly one. Yeah, um, and um, th there's the ghost one as well. That's my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. it creates like a, a an earth golem, but it's the uh, a always a spirit. I don't know if you can choose the spirit that happens, 
but um, it's always a spirit that has been struck down by the gun. Yeah. I think you can. I think you can choose, and there's a reason I think so. Yeah, uh, I, th- I, don't I, think, I know what you mean, um, I think, with, uh, with Old Mate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to give you. I don't want to give like the spoiler away, but I think I think you do get to choose who. Yeah, I, I was always wondering whether that was a conscious decision, or if the gun shows that, like mm. you know, because these guns are supernatural and kind of semi sentient themselves. Like, right. is he choosing to bring that spirit back each time, or is the gun choosing it in an attempt to punish the wielder with a spirit that would cause them the most distress? Oh, that's cool. Hey, that's a question for Colin. Yeah. That's a question you got to ask Colin when you have him on the show. Yeah, like, that may have been answered in the comic, and I've just forgotten it, but that is a question that I have had. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like, I actually really like that. Like, I, I was under the impression that he, he kind of, he's making that decision, you know? But, yeah. um, that, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, right? And then there's this, hmm. this, the gallows tree where they get to talk to the spirits oh, yeah. and get the map and so that page was the one where I was sold on this book. So yeah. that's page 13. Page 13 when I hit that in the in this in the our main character Drake goes to the gallows tree was uh one of those really inventive things I was telling you about like where you'd see like it's just so creative and imaginative and like just awesome right that uh I knew this was going to be a good book. And so the gallows tree is a tree um, that you can only find if you have a map to it, right? So you have to have this map. You have to know how to use the map. And it it kind of enforces this whole idea uh, in the book that this supernatural world exists. But you, if you're just a normal, you know, schlubby person walking around, not really knowing about this stuff, you would never notice it. But if you are in the know, if you kind of know how to find these places and you kind of you kind of know what you're doing, uh, it's there. It's everywhere. Yeah. And this tree is the first example of this, where this guy Drake Sinclair, um, who's kind of like you know one of the main protagonists, one of the couple of them. Uh, it's like this this crazy looking tree that he finds with a map, and it's got kind of like uh, a bunch of people hanging from it, of course. But they're all kind of like ghosts, ghosty, and they're yeah. like zombie like, and they're like oracles, and they got these glowing eyes and you know, light coming out of their mouth and stuff, and it's just, it's just really cool. Yeah. You're, no, oh, yeah, they're, they're looking at this right now, huh? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they can them. see okay, it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely stunning, and, like, the tree is, is red, and it looks like it's made of flesh, not, not wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you learn about Drake. I mean, everything you need to know about Drake really is, is in this, is is expertly written in this this uh these these first few pages like he 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 te- he's talking to him about what he's looking for he seems like he's a sincere person and they they kind of like help him out and then he screws him over like he you know he makes a deal with him and you know he promises to burn the map and uh, they're like okay we'll help you you know and he because he he promises to burn the map in a way where he makes it kind of sound like he does care about their plight, you know, like they don't want to be found, they want to rest. Um, yeah. And he convinces them, and then, then he, he puts it back in his pocket, walks off, and they're like, you know, are you going to burn it? You know, and he's like, nope. I don't know who you thought I was, you know? And uh, that's your first meeting with this guy. Yeah, um, and he's our 
protagonist and you're immediately introduced to him as a, a kind of a double dealing douchebag. Yeah. Who's still cool though. Yeah. He's still cool. You like know? you're like, still interested in him and you still want to see what happens. Yeah. And then you meet the other protagonist um, in the next page who is um, she is a uh, the daughter of a of a of a preacher. Yeah. Um, who and they're about their farm is about to get ransacked. And this is where you meet the main gun, which is uh you know, I it kind of did the thing. It kind of does this thing, kind of like the Lord of the Rings did, where when you, if you meet all the guns, you're kind of thinking, well, I don't know even know if this is the gun that I pick. Like, I mean, all these guns doing all this awesome stuff, like. This right. guy kind of gives you an idea of, you know, it's just kind of a normal gun, but it gives you, like, flashes of the future. Yeah. But then you, you slowly start to see that it really is, like, the best one, you know? Yeah, like, it, yeah, it doesn't just give you visions of the future. It also enables... Now, here's where it's going to get spoilery, so uh, if you haven't read the book, go read it, come back. Um, it enables, like, the astral time travel. Yeah. It gets really good. The more the more she uses or bonds with it, like the more powerful she becomes. Yeah, um, right. But like at, at first, you're kind of like, yeah, this is. I mean, I guess it's a cool gun, but like, I want the one that like brings back all the dead people. Like that one's freaking awesome. Or the one that you can't die. Like you're like the Wolverine when you get, yeah when you have it. You know that one's pretty cool. Oh, that one scene. Uh, <laughs> I guess we talk spoilers. Uh, the one scene later in this volume where. Um, uh, she gets her hand cut off, the the wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's holding the gun. She gets her hand cut off, and once that happens, um, she gets really old and just is, like, dying because she no longer is connected to the gun, but the hand that's connected to the gun, all these crazy, like, muscles and stuff start coming out of it, and it builds a whole other version of her. Yeah, right? It's freaking cool. This comic is cool. It's just Yeah, cool. it is. It does so much, so many interesting things. Yeah, and then here, immediately after they kill her dad, we're introduced to the gun doing the that burning. Yeah. Yep. The guy tries to pick it up. But she... So that so Becky is like the other protagonist, and she picks the gun up first, not really knowing what it is, and because she does that after her dad dies, she's now bonded to the gun. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so like, um... Would she... Yeah... That's how it happens, right? Yeah, yeah she yeah, grabs yeah. it and shoots at him. Oh no! Okay, so the guy who shoots—that's right. So the guy who shoots the dad, um, he's bonded to the gun, right? But she picks the gun up and shoots him, and then she bonds to it. Mm. Because I think it's—I think it's the person who kills the person gets the gun. So I think she immediately kills the guy who killed the dad. Yeah. And she gets the gun. And so now she's bonded to it. So the, the reason they keep her alive is because um, the the big boss, who is a super cool character, um, he wants to kill her so he could get bonded back to his gun. Yeah, that's his right. Whole, his whole thing. I thought I had just found a plot hole for Colin Bunn. I was about <laughs> to say. I think I did. But yeah, re-looking at it now, she kills the guy who killed the dad. Yeah, she kills like all three it. of them. Yeah, that's how she gets it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because he busts in. And then yeah. she immediately shoots him. 
Yeah, and then uh, Drake turns up and sees that the dad's dead. Yeah. That part's really cool because he's... It, uh, Colin's whole, like, there's this, like, one-page thing that's really awesome about how... And it's just, like, a one-page thing, but it's talking about how, like, oh, buzzards are the wisest creatures in the world, and uh, it's so yeah. strange because it, this guy's dying on the ground that she had shot. And it's just almost all red page. And it's like this whole thing. You guys are probably looking at it right now, but it's like this whole thing about how buzzards are the mo- the wisest creature in the in the world, and like they'll they'll whisper secrets about life and death to you, but like you only you only hear these secrets right before you're about to die. Yeah, and like uh, and it's just like this like one page little story that's just so cool. Yeah, right. Like it's just like sets more of this world up. Like that doesn't have to be there. No, but it establishes just how creepy and supernatural this world actually is. Yeah, and just like how on fire uh, Cullen's brain is when he's writing this. Like, just like the creativity that he's firing into this comic. Yeah, just a throwaway page where uh, Drake is walking up to the farm. That's all it needed to be. Drake walks up to the farm, sees the guy dying, asks him a question. Right, that's all it needed to be. But instead. It's this whole little like story about a, you know, how vultures whisper these secrets of life and death, and it's it's so cool. Like this book is just so cool, right? Uh, and then yeah, we've got the same the uh, scene at the chapel. Yeah, yeah, these guys. Yeah. It's, suddenly the preachers are, are pulling out bloody Gatling guns. Yeah, which is awesome, but then this whole scene is introducing you to these like the rad. Uh, like posse of of gun carriers, you know. Yeah. And the, the design of these guys are really cool. Like I, I spent a while, like actually looking at all these, like the the guy with the bag over his head, and uh, like the zombie looking guy. And, yeah. Like, they're just so well done. Yeah, and the guy with the bag over his head is the pestilence guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. There's the hunger guy as well. Yeah, the hunger guy. Um, I think he has the he has the gun that spreads the flames. Yeah, the guy that's all the way there on the left. Like uh, Brian uh, Hurt, the the artist for this, um, like the designs of these characters, it's just it's like you know, like you you immediately know who. Like looking at this from an art- artistic standpoint, you immediately kind of just from this one picture without knowing anything about him, you kind of get their deal, right? Yeah. Like you got the main guy, who's kind of like in the lead. He's the only one with a white horse. He's got this tall hat that makes him taller than all the other characters. He's he's nicely dressed. He's the bad. He's like the he's like the the group the leader of this group. Yeah. You know, you got the weird guy that's right left to him. You know, with the bag over his head, the mysterious weird guy. You got the gross guy, and then you got the the muscle. You know, and yeah. you can tell all of that just but yeah, just an immediate look. Just an immediate look. Yeah, like you can you can sort of tell immediately that the guy on the left is gonna be he's gonna be mean. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what the guy in the bags deal is, but you also know that you don't really want to know. No. Yeah. And he's he that I think when I first read this, he was the one that I liked the most was the guy with the bag over his head, just because I, th- I liked the mystery of it. Yeah. And I believe the the muscle guy is the one that's got the cannon gun, right? He does. Yeah, he's got the yeah. cannon. So whenever he fires a bullet, it hits whatever he's firing at, like like a, like a cannon blast. Yeah blows up walls. I mean, even more than a cannon blast, really. 
Yeah, and then just a, a couple more um, pages in, we get introduced to Hume. their boss. And, like, yeah, they, they rip the, the coffin open, and there he is, this pale, you know, vampiric-looking guy all chained up inside the coffin. He looks like he looks like a zombie version of what what I, I think Robert E. Lee looked like. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he's a, yeah, yeah, I get that. And he that's what he was. He was like, you know, a Confederate general. But yeah. this guy the design and the way that this guy starts getting drawn later, and this is spoilery, but he so they pull him out of a coffin, he's chained to this coffin. And he can't they can't get the chains off. Like he is um he has been by the people who killed him. He is, because uh, he's all kinds of powerful, right? He's all kinds of powerful because he spent all this time getting all these, more than just the guns and more than just the main gun. Yeah. He's got all kinds of different artifacts. And um, he can't get, he, he so he ends up dragging this coffin around. But after a while, these chains are just, they just whip around him, right? They just whip around him. And the coffin is like held up by the chains behind him. Yeah. Like he's dragging, he's like spawn or something, you know? And he walks around, these chains are like, strangle people out and do all kinds of crazy stuff he shoots lightning bolts with this so he's like it's super cool yeah it's the imagery that they have of that like the drawings they have of him like later on and when he's in these big battles are some of the coolest drawings i've ever seen you know yeah right and then we get the the scene on this next page you know to when he in his at the first part in his weakened state they they summon an army to help him do his do his thing and carry him along and we, so we finally get to see what the creepy guy's gun does. Yeah, which is so cool. The the like the mud guys. Yeah. And that is who. Hang on, let me just check it again. What was his name? Um. Oh, something. Uh... Graham McTavish was playing that him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Graham McTavish was going to play this guy with the the spirit golem gun, and that would have been such good casting. Yeah. Dang. I wish. I wish. I wish it had happened. I. I you know. I'm gonna. I am gonna send a message. I doubt. I mean, I, I'm not like you know good friends with them or anything like that. I just you know just we're peers or whatever. But um, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna send a message to see if he has like. A Dropbox link or something to this because I, I man I want to watch it you know yeah like, knows, it really might do. be you know it might be in an online streaming vault somewhere at one of these but you know Cullen is the one who's going to know where it is yeah 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 wherever it is Cullen is the one who's probably going to know <laughs> oh I'm sure he, he he must have a copy of it somewhere you would think so and I love the the scenes here in the um in the tavern again where we've got drake and we meet uh bill john mm-hmm. yeah he's a he's a really cool character and just the yeah just love the the expressions on his face you know like how how expressive the art is and stuff in these first three panels that we see him in yeah yeah he's he's a fun character he's got the two double-barreled uh sawed off shotguns he carries around we meet the wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creepy. I was about to say that. Yeah, Drake notices the guy sneaking around him, and suddenly we meet the the undead wife, essentially the, the immortal wife. 
So is this all technically still the first issue? Um, I'm not sure. I've got the first volume here. Yeah, me too, I, yeah. I don't okay. remember when the first issue ended. I think it ends where he says, um, I'm going to go get my gun back. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah, because this is all battle and stuff. This is all really cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Widow Hume, that's right. That's the name she goes by. Yeah, the Widow Hume. Yeah. And the interesting thing about her is she's actually really old, but because she has that gun, she, it, like, de-aged her. Yeah, she remains eternally youthful yeah. for as long as she's got the gun. Oh, yeah, and then Drake yeah. just, just shoots her through the head. <laughs> yeah, and she's fine. Yeah, and, yeah, a couple of pages later... I, I love this... Uh, scene as well actually um where he tells her to pick the gun back up and she says it's not natural and he's like there isn't a gun in the world that's natural yeah yeah there's some good lines in this yeah and i'm like, like i uh, i like that like this is a story about gunslingers and and everything but it also makes some really good points that yeah does. like we aren't meant to have guns in this world that was a a thing that humans decided to build and create. And it's just as unnatural, a gun is just as natural as any of the supernatural stuff in this. Yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, a, a gun gives a, the wielder the power of life and death, and that's not a natural thing for any human to wield. Yeah. But, and uh, I'd love here, like, Bill John just has these two sawn-off shotguns strapped into his coat, and he's just got them on cables. Yeah, he's cool, man. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters in this in this whole book. He's, yeah. well, he's like the, kind of like the perfect, like, um, uh, I don't want to say side character, but, you know, like, he's the perfect, like, friend character in a Western, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a gambler, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. And then we we start to get to meet, um, uh, see the fire. The fire gun do its thing. Yeah, yeah. This is where we we, we see them all. I mean, this is like the the this is a, a big battle, the mm. first big battle. Um. That's that's really awesome. There's the fire gun doing its thing. Yeah. Then they they bring in Hume in in the coffin and. The, the widow runs to embrace it, but he's still just shouting orders at everyone. Yeah, he doesn't even care that she's there, really. That was a good character moment. It's the whole time up until that she's talking about how awesome he is. and Yeah. And then he's just just another asshole. Yeah. He, right. he could care less about her. Yeah, and I love the, the reveal that um, old mate's got the, the body armor on under his suit. Yeah. So he's not just, I mean, he's like, he's like a literal tank. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, because he, he like snipes him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I forgot that, um, about the, the dynamite scene here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things they talk about later is that, um, with these, these cool, like, golem creatures. Yeah. Is that, uh, they they fall apart really easy because they actually don't want to um, fight for 
General Hume because like yeah. General Hume, you know, like then General Hume and his guys, they killed they killed these people, so they're not they're not happy about this. So they're actually like they're doing it, but their will's not there. So like they're not very effective. They just like they could they fall apart in a brisk wind. They said, you know. Yeah, yeah, I remember um, that. Because yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. But if they do want to fight, then all of a sudden they are like pretty formidable, you know. Yeah, like if yeah. They're, if they're into it. Yeah, because like Bill John, and they they retain some of their sentience. Yeah. Because like if Bill John like is really defined compared to the others. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, give that away. But now that now that we're, we're talking about we're it, in, yeah, he's yeah, we're in spoiler territory already. Yeah, he he. He actually seems to care about the things that he cared about when he was alive. You yeah. Know, like he cares about. He's like thinking. You can tell he's thinking. He can't talk or anything, but he's like thinking. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's obvious. Like he wants to protect his friends. Yeah. He actually becomes kind of more of a character when he's when he's right? that thing. He know? does. More of a sympathetic character. Yeah. And I love this scene where we find out about uh, Hume getting the guns in the first place. And they're yeah. all, like, draped around the neck of this big goat. And then he hands them out to his his little posse. And I like he, the goat. Yeah. And, and that they're not just... Like, it talks about the fire gun, and it's like, it's not just fire, it's the flames of perdition. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like uh, special, like a uh, hellfire, you know. Yeah, exactly. Such uh, a good book. It is. It's a really good book. And like for anyone that hasn't read it, go read it. I'm gonna link it in the description below, as long with you know, just where you can find Cullen's work, and uh, I'll link all of Matt's links in the description below. But um, yeah, we we've uh, approached and run over the hour. Which has been great. It's been a really great chat. It has been great. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, where can people find you? Uh, so you can go to my website. It's just uh, www.matthardingart.com. And that has links to all my social media, all the books I work on and stuff, uh, all the other stuff I work on. Um, the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and if Matt all goes well Art. this year, you can find us collaborating on something later in the year. Yes. Uh, I'll keep you posted on what and when and where it actually manages to happen. Uh, but stay awesome. tuned. Uh, this has been No Capes. This has been my guest, Matt Harding. I am Sean Sunday, and this is the show where we talk about creator-owned comics with creators who own comics. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, uh, give a little comment if you liked the episode, because every one of those helps boost the visibility of these videos. Uh, and if you like the show, and you like my work, and you want to help support it, consider signing up to Patreon where you're going to get access to episodes early. You're going to get to see all the bloopers and stuff that gets cut out of the ads, uh, of the episodes, and uh, you get to pre-read scripts and playtest my games and all of that kind of good stuff behind the scenes in advance. And it just helps me to buy more comics and make more episodes. So maybe consider signing up. Do it. Until next time, this has been No Capes. I'm Sean Sunday. Keep reading comics.